Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are always ready to help you personalize your insurance plan so you can create a policy that fits your needs. You can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. And you can always call one of the State Farm agents in neighborhoods across the country. Get a great rate without sacrificing great service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's going on, everybody? How do we do, Internet? Hi. How we doing? So, got hey, something you, important. I was going to say, you got something to talk about. Yeah. You know what that is? Hmm. Headphones. Yeah. Go over to studio.com. You check out whatever they got there. They've got earbuds. They've got over-the-ear. They've got... Actually, they have the new Regent 2, which is the upgraded version of what we have. Well, what's different about them? Because I it's love got, these ones. It's, it's the same design, pretty much. It's just got better guts. Really? I'm not a... Scientist. No. I'm not a mathematician, so it, man, man. But whatever you find, throw it in the cart, put in Dark Windows 15 at checkout, get 15% off your entire order. You know what else you can do when you go to a place and you do the checkout and you put in things? You're you're stepping on my dick big time here, man. I'm the one supposed to have bad transitions. Oh, yeah. The fuck? Anyway. I wish I had that two-wheeled thing that you can ride on. You lean forward and you lean back, but man, you lean forward and get going. Oh, Segway. I thought I was thinking hoverboard, but... Fuck that noise. Anyway, <laughs> so if you have miniatures, you like miniatures, you want to paint miniatures, and you're also sick of dealing with said miniatures and you're holding on to them because you're knocking off all that delicious paint. Yeah, I said delicious paint. I am one of the weird folks that, you know, licks a brush occasionally and I've drank my paint water every once in a while. You grew up eating paint chips. I never ate a paint chip nacho platter. <laughs> Don't start. Anyway, with olives. Fuck olives, man. Those are little rubber car tires. Oof matchbox in the early days anyway so yeah if you have miniatures and you like painting them and you're finding you're having difficulty paying these miniatures due to the fact of you can't get the right angle you're not confident in like holding the right way because you have like wet paint or you you know you just don't know what to do well head on over to gameenvy.net game envy as i've said time and time again and i'll keep saying it until everyone in the world owns a hobby holder is the home of the hobby holder. The hobby holder is a two-in-one handle and base combination unit. What that means is the handle and the base are two separate units. They click together and you can do 360 rotation with the base alone. Now, what's even more amazing is you can take the handle, you can flip it upside down, unclip it, clip it back again, and now you can mug grip that. So it gives you more versatility and more comfort and ease so that way you don't get hand strain or, you know, the hand fatigue is a real thing. Yeah. It, the best part is it runs off of a basic bottle cap system, like a simple soda bottle cap. Look, I'm showing it to the mic. And we use Funtac, Bluetack, Poster Putty, whatever it may be. Don't use glue because when you got to take it off the soda bottle cap, you're going to end up destroying your miniature that you work so hard on. Fucks it all up. Yeah, you learned that the hard way. Yep. So you figure out, you like, you know, I like this. You can pick it in a wide variety of colors. You put that in the checkout cart. Then. You look at it like, oh, what's this? A brush beam to hold my brushes while they don't roll away? Awesome. Oh, you need a wet palette to keep your paints wet and to keep them still fresh? Boom, we got you covered. We also have paint pucks to help you clean your brushes. Whether you like to paint canvas, it also works for that too. We have a wide variety of products there. So what you do is you put all that fun stuff in your checkout cart, you put in the promo code Broadstone, 
and you will save yourself 10% off the entire order. Yeah. So, what are we talking about? So, this week we're going to do a little backwards kind of, well, Let me do, do I'm going to restart that. This week we're actually going to kind of hop in the way, way back machine. Who needs a soundboard? You got me, boys. Huh? You're like a white Michael Winslow, <laughs> except bad at it. Yeah, really horrible. <laughs> that was my horse noise because I didn't know how far back we're going. I'm like horse and buggies. Yeah. But we are going to go back and talk about the origins of the group that we covered last week, and we'll be talking more about next week and in a couple weeks. A group that would come to be known as the Westies. Yes, we did touch on them briefly, which we focused on two and partially a third one. Yeah. Which is Mickey Spillane, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So he wasn't the the creator of the gang. No. Was, oh. no it goes back further. Oh, cool. Um, well, kind of cool. It is actually kind of cool. Um, I know Kevin looked into it a lot, too. There's a lot of really neat shit that goes into it. The Irish kind of connection to organized crime in the United States goes way back to the days of, like, think like Gangs of New York. Yeah, when they were seen as the original, like, hate to say it but they were the original like slave work yeah they were brought in to build railroads to work on farms to do everything and a lot of times they weren't given the opportunity to own property they had to live in squat houses uh in underground like little cavern type things like because they would keep the upper levels of like hotels and things like that for paying customers and because they were seen as just working crew. They stayed in fucking steerage pretty much in the building. Essentially, yeah. Th- this was like the same time frame Sucks. where you, you would have signs outside of buildings that said no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Yeah. Shit like that, you know. Um, but these guys back in the day. So, like again, would have been like the five points gang, like that time frame. These guys went to war with fucking clubs, axes, knives, bats, occasionally guns. Like more that towards one the dude later. That's fighting with that Celtic cross on a fucking stick. A fucking shillelagh. Oh, Beating a motherfucker. Games in New York was fucking a great movie. So some of the early gangs would have been the Y.O.s, the Eastmen, um, and the group that I'm going to talk mostly about was the Gopher Gang. What? Yeah. Like Go Get It Gopher or like the Animal Gopher? The Animal Gopher. So kind of like the White Rabbits of Gangs in New York? Uh, I don't know which one they would be, technically. I really like that movie, so I can't That's a good it. movie. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, the Gopher Gang actually formed up in the 1890s in the area of New York that uh, would go on to be called Hell's Kitchen. And that, Kevin, you actually found the origins of the name Hell's Kitchen, didn't you? Uh, I, yeah, I saw it, but I don't remember exactly what it was. It was something to do with... I think it was something where... Two cops were out like walking the beat, and one of the guys said, "It's it's hotter than hell here with like all the crime and stuff." No, I had and the to... older guy was like, "It's no, if it's if anything, it's Hell's Kitchen. It's that hot or some shit like that." It was something to do with like the whole like because it wasn't H E L L, it was a like H, uh, like uh, the Germanic or something different, different variation of the of the name because um, it was like more like Dutch because actually during the 1600s or whatever um it New was York City was New, actually was uh New Amsterdam yeah. so it was part of uh 
the Dutch. I thought it was probably because they thought it was like the lowest of the level of like the city, like the filthiest, the grimiest, the dingiest. Because, you know, it was a prime spot for the Irish, as we just spoke about. So depending on who was there, they probably was like, oh, well, this is just a dirty, grimy little hole in the wall. So thus, you know, Hell's Kitchen, because they had food there probably. (laughs) But everything else is just dingy and hell and gross. So back to the gopher game. Okay. Oh, you got it? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So... Um, the name's origin was a, for a German restaurant in the area known as Hell's Kitchen, with H spelled H E I L S, after its proprietor. Hmm. Would that be like Heel or Heil or something like that? It's Hell. It's Hell. Hmm. Okay. Not Heil, because Heil is is H I E L. Unless they came, if they sure. were German, I could be wrong. If they were German, I, I and came through the uh, the immigration process, and they said. They try to spell it or hi- they try to say Heil or whatever. They're like, yeah, fuck it. It says Hell. Here's your name now. Yeah, there you go. See so you go. Yeah. So, but then they changed it, you know, because, I mean, as you would say, because you had mentioned, you know, hot as Hell's Kitchen. Well, you know, that refers to. The, to a restaurant. To a restaurant. Okay. Okay. That's pretty so cool. So that's why, you know. <laughs> it, it's one of those things where you like, you think it's got this big badass explanation. It's like, that's ah, a restaurant down the fucking street on the corner. <laughs> <laughs> so. The, the Gopher Gang actually got their their name from their tendency to hide out in basements and cellar holes. Like I was saying. So they would fucking drop down here and they'd pop up here, you know, just whoop, 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 all yeah, over the place. Yeah, because the cellar holes are a lot of time where the coal would go for to heat the places or whatever. Right. And never being to the city, but every time you look at anything like that, you could literally walk over, lift one up, and you can just go right down. Yeah. Like, hell, there's places in Rolland that have cellar holes where you can go right down and where you can pop out. And be right on city. Yeah, they're, level. they're like the the bar basements where like yeah, it just opens up out of the ground. I do work on one of them. It's scary as hell. <laughs> so some of their some of their main members included, and I could not, I don't have the creative capacity to make up these names. One Lung Curran. I love that name. Happy Jack Malarney, mm. Stumpy Malarkey, and Goo Goo Knox. Goo Goo Knox. Yeah, I feel like that's no nope, leaving that one alone, but. Probably the biggest name to come out of this organization would be a guy nicknamed the Killer, and his name was Oni Madden. But I, I want to just kind of jump back. For, yeah, I want to go over some of those guys that you taught. So, like Happy Jack. See, the reason why he was called Happy Jack was because he actually had a, a partial paralysis. Yeah, of I his saw face. something with that. Yeah. So it always looked at like, at like one side of his mouth. He was actually smiling or laughing. What Whoa, been, like, he's uh, the OG Joker. He is. That's what I thought of. I was like, yes. he's my, my Joker. My mind Im- immediately went to, like, Bell's Palsy. He, I think that's I, I think actually, that's something. What I think probably that's probably what it, what it was, right? Yeah. I still like so, the Joker idea. At one point, he actually, uh, he got pissed. And there was uh, this guy named Patty the Priest who owned a saloon that, uh, and he actually was friends with Jack. And uh, Je- Patty made a comment of, "Why don't you try laughing out the other, other side of your mouth?" Well, Jack yeah. was a little, little bit pissed off about this. took took offense to it, and he put a bullet in the back of his head <laughs> or two. <laughs> and then one lung. The reason why he was called one lung was because he had TB. I and was like, if you if you just said because he liked to smoke cigarettes, I'm like weak. No. <laughs> And he, he often, because of his TB, he visited the uh, tuberculosis ward of the Bellevue Hospital mm-hmm. quite often. But 
just because he had a TB doesn't mean, you know, he was kind of like Doc Holliday in this sense, where he treated his woman with respect, like Big Nose Kate. You know, Doc treated her good most of the time. He wasn't an asshole. I mean... Do you think he would have been an asshole if he didn't have TB? Probably not. (laughs) Because that's kind of where you were going with that. No, no, no. I'm just saying he was kind of like, you know, Doc was having TB, but, you know. But he treated her so well that... She complained not have that she didn't have a winter coat. So what does he do? He goes out, he blackjacks a, a cop, <laughs> takes his coat, and brings it back to her. And then she goes, tailors it, and starts walking around the neighborhood. And everybody's like, That's all the a girls nice are coat. like, I love that coat. Oh my gosh. And then told her man, you know, you better get me one of those coats. Well, there was a lot less uh, Just cops. Fucking with, uh... cops getting clubbed everywhere for their coats. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, though, they probably, you know, club some people to take what they had, whether it be gold or money or, hey, look, that's a cool-looking food item. I want that. This is still the time frame where lawmen were just as dirty as the fucking criminals, just like if you went out fucking west. You know, you got guys like Bat Masterson, who was a piece of shit. (laughs) Pat Garrett, who was a giant piece of shit. Like, oh, I got a badge, though. Dude, Skullcrackers, bro. Yeah. I have one of those old school like nightsticks, which was used to just beat the shit out of people. I mean, the the show how big the golfers were the, in 1907. The, I guess their estimated numbers were like 500. Yeah, that's Ugh. huge. Yeah, <gasps> I mean, uh, the, the 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 Westies weren't even that big. No, I don't. Hell, I don't even think most Italian. No, got not you know, like the, the Gambinos. The, the or mafia the, is right. tight knit, so they they yeah. keep a lot. 500 is like fucking motorcycle club numbers. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, back back there in this time, you know, during that... It's a whole early, neighborhood. Like, late 1800s, you know, 1700s, the, being the five points thing. Yeah, that's a, like... You had to band together. Yeah. That is a neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, everybody, that course, that's probably why they got that whole uh, motto of, you know, the Hell's Kitchen motto of, I didn't see nothing, I'm yeah. like, I say nothing. And we're going to get into that, actually, with uh, talking about Oni here. But anyway, I, I, I digress. Oh. So uh Go back to Oni Madden. So Oni Madden was the born was born Owen Vincent Madden, uh, December eighteenth, nineteen. I'm sorry, nineteen. December December eighteenth, eighteen ninety one. I found something interesting. He wasn't actually fucking Irish. What was he? Was he, English? he was English. Really? He was born in Leeds, England. Yep. Was it Leeds or was it Liverpool? Uh, I saw both. Because I, I saw, but I saw Leeds more. Because the book that I was reading said Liverpool, so yeah, I, just... I, I like I said I saw both, but I saw Leeds more frequently, so that's the one I went with. Okay. Um, searching for work, his uh, his father and mother Francis and Mary moved the family first to uh, to Wigan and then to Liverpool, with the atten- uh, with the intention of eventually moving the family over to America to find work and opportunities. You know, that's back when the streets were still paved with gold, obviously. Francis would actually pass away before Mary would leave in 1901. And from some things that I said, I read, that probably wasn't a bad thing because I guess Francis was an abusive alcoholic, kind of an asshole, like always putting hands on his wife and kids, stuff like that. Mm. Um, so Mary set sail in 1901 for the United States. She sailed on the RMS Oceanic and stayed with her sister in Manhattan. Imagine that that trip. Yeah, that's a fucking... That's a, what, a month? I think. Yeah. Or damn near close to a month. It's like 30 so odd days on a boat. Yeah. That's fucking. Good wow. thing. Good thing she didn't do this 10 years later on, you know, the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'd be fine. Um, Oni and his brother Martin, uh, his younger brother Martin, would actually stay at a children's home in England until she could afford to have them shipped over in 1902. 
So after the boys arrived uh, in the States, Mary found a place in what would come to be known as Hell's Kitchen, our main focus for, like, geographical focus for this whole (laughs) series, you know? In 1902, Oni would join up with the Gopher Gang. He was 12 years old when he joined this gang. Whoa. Okay. Associates would refer to him as the Banty Little Rooster from Hell because he was he was just a little fella. Um, was he cocky? He was. Hmm. But Banty Little Rooster. He, he was also real handy with a lead pipe and a gun. Oh, shit. So like I said, these guys, they, they went to war with each other constantly. On the regular. Um, he, he was very well known for cracking skulls, beating people nearly to death uh, during, like, uh, skirmishes between gangs. Their main rival for the Gophers would be a, a group calling themselves the Hudson Dusters, which is a fucking great name. So that sounds like almost like a mix of, like, New York City gang and, like, Old West gangs. They come in dusters. Oh, dude, this would be like in the Warriors. Dude, Hudson it City like- dusters, and they come only in, like trench coats it sounds like a fucking minor league baseball team okay yeah Yeah, (laughs) now sport i just want to say remember everybody remember like how madden got to the united states because there's another guy you know that kevin probably is going to talk about i guarantee he's going to that almost kind of had the same um upbringing sort of in how he came into the united states because it was pretty i was i was like holy shit you know but just keep that in mind so the the reason that the dust that the Gophers and the Dusters had so much of a, a beef with each other is because they shared a, a pretty large territorial line. Oni Madden would earn his nickname the Killer after shooting an Italian gangster and yelling at, and yelling afterward, "Quote, I'm Oni Madden, Tenth Street." <laughs> oh, Oni, guess what? Tenth Street? Yeah. Oh, dude, you're good. See ya. Have have a good day. It, it, hey, it, tell your mother I said. Never mind. Goodbye. Say hello to your mother for me. <laughs> um, no, it, it's oh, all, you prick. It's almost one of those things where you've been like, what you gonna do, motherfucker? Come find me. I just told you where I live, you know? You know who that reminds me of? Hmm. Somebody that didn't care wherever he was. He would just let people know. I feel like it's somebody that we wouldn't know that would take over from a certain Mickey Spillane. Yeah, kind of. Hmm. Hmm. Foreshadowing. Seems- well, because, I mean, during that time, who the fuck's going to go into that neighborhood? Because, you know, each area was... Would you do that now if someone's like... Bitch, I'm in fucking 10th Street. Come at me. No way. Insert yeah. gang name here. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I'm going to go over to 18th Street. I'm going to get me some permanis, and then I'm going to go to my hotel and cry and lock all the doors. The really yeah. interesting thing about this murder, though, happened in broad daylight, middle of the day, in front of a handful of witnesses. No one went to the police. Again, that's what we talked about last it, week. It's it's that West Side Code. Well, not even that. That is just inner city code. Mm-hmm. There's reports of it happening all the time of, like, you go to an Asian-centric like location, like West Coast, East Coast, like uh, Little Chinatown or whatever, and if something happens, no one says anything. Even still to this day, there was a video of a woman being brutalized, and someone recorded it, no one said anything. Yeah. And it's just, that is what, from my you know, little home bunk town of Vermont sees as the city sometimes is shit happens. You don't say shit because they'll come after you. They'll come after your family. They'll come after everyone, you know, and Oh yeah. They'll even go after your priest because they think that you may have told them. The thing was, is like, you don't 
rat out, like, if you're Irish, you don't rat out the Irish. Even though the cops are Irish, fuck them. They're not Irish, they're cops. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you know? it, uh, I was, I actually had talked with a guy. Um, he's from Rutland area. And he was, t- well, he's actually originally from uh, New York City. I think it was like, uh, I don't know if it was Brooklyn or one of them. And was he was his name t- Tony? No. No. No, Get your guy, fucking this, legs broken for that one. No, this this guy, uh, he actually drives a he drives a bus for does tours. Anyway, he was from New York City. He he's Italian, and he said that it was kind of like this, where you know, every Sunday, your mama, your grandma, you know, all of them would you you could just smell the cooking. Your grandpa, your your dad, your uncle, they're all out on the front stoop, you know, smoking cigarettes, cigars, you know, having a good time. Commiserating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, because Sunday's, <laughs> Sunday's family meal. Playing playing the checkers and all that stuff. Canasta. Yeah. And he goes, you could get in trouble five blocks away, someone would know about it, and you're going to get your ass beat. It's just, oh, you know, Uncle Tony knows about what you did. But it's just, like, it's just like fucking here, dude. You go down to the store. Something could happen up here ten fucking minutes ago. By the time you get down here, everybody knows about it. Didn't oh, yeah. that happen to you? Yep. With a certain incident. Yeah. And my dad wrecked his truck, and I found out about it from people at the fucking store before I even knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's. Uh, I, I kind of like. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, yeah. oh, "Holy shit!" But bad gas travels fast in a small town. He said, "You know, it's like the same thing is of, of no one, you know, talked bad. No one came into the, your neighborhood. Yeah. It started anything. No." Because guess what? After dark, you, you come in, you're gonna get your ass beat. Like like my grandmother says, you fuck it with one, you fuck it with all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. So I mean, you know, just kind of like a little example it, of, totally of, of, of this. Grandma. It's one of those things that the Irish and Italians really share, is they both come from big families. Usually, they'll fight with each other, but if somebody, a fucking interloper, comes in from outside and fucks with one of them. They're going to go to that guy's house and, you know, get out here and fight the six of us, you fucking coward. You know, that kind of shit. But I, I also think that... Band of brothers. <laughs> Seriously, no, yeah, it's like true. a huge... Because this was not like the, during the time of, like, you have one or two kids and you call it a day. Oh, God, no. Like, this is like during the time of, like, you have seven. It's like, oh, that's child's play. That's cute. Have another five. Well, yeah. fuck, dude. Mickey Featherstone growing up in the fucking 50s and 60s was the youngest of nine, for yeah. Christ's sakes. My dad came from a family of seven. My mom's my mom's the second youngest of six. My dad's uh, the youngest of four. One of the guys I work with, he has eleven siblings. God damn! My my grandfather was uh, like one of the middle sort of ish of of eleven. A couple of them died, but I mean, but that's also back in the day when you had to have a big family to run yeah. your farm and shit. Exactly. Yeah. Or run the shop, or yeah, anything. Yeah, dude. They everybody had a deal. Like fucking child thing. labor laws. But <laughs> I mean. But I mean, at the same time, you know, stuff like this we can relate to Vermont. You know, yeah. not not all of us are Italian, not all of us are Irish, um, but you know, we're all that mix, and we've kind of, you know, got that mentality of you fuck with us, <laughs> you know, we're going to fuck with you back. Unless you go to West Rutland, then they're all either Irish or Polish. So it's true. Actually, I worked with a guy from West Rutland who said it's okay to call Polish people their stone throwers because that's what he grew up doing. They get bored, you go out and throw fucking rocks at each other. <laughs> I used like, to do that. Like, oh, you're, you're Polish? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I, I used to throw rocks. I'm not Polish. I used to throw them off Come the cliff. Come on. Well, not at people, though. I've done it. Like, they're out there throwing fucking, like, 
you yeah, know, dude. three inch round rocks. Yeah, you each put other, one you know? of your buddies on a bike, and what you're doing is you're playing the duck hunting game. And then after, <laughs> wh- then after that round, you go back, like you go forward once, you go back once, you go forward. Can you twice, throw rocks to that you go fucking back? dog? No, oh, oh, no I hated that cocksucker. No, seriously though, I'm not kidding. Then after that, then you switch, and then it's going like that. So everybody has to go once. It's like and chunky. Then, yeah, and then what you do is you take the total out of everything, what? and then whoever won yeah. got to have like the little sip of you know your parents' alcohol. Yeah. Dude, shut hey, up, man. Chun- Chunky was a, ga- a good game. Chunky was a game that Native Americans played where they'd roll like a, a, a round thing across the, uh, like, like a rock or something like that. They'd roll it and they'd throw fucking spears or shoot arrows at it and try to either hit it or hit in front of it to stop it. That sounds like uh, fucking awesome. Yeah. So anyway, back from our side quests. So by the time he turned 18 in 1910, Oni Madden was one of the, was one of the leaders of the, of one of the three main factions of the Gopher Gang. And at this point in time, he's earning upwards of $200 a day, which with inflation would be about $2,500 a day now. That's good fucking money. Yeah, that's yeah. a good chunk of change. And he's earning that from mostly from the gang's protection rackets. So basically, anybody that doesn't know how that would work, these guys would go into a shop like a candy store or a newspaper shop or something. And you go, you might want to pay us some money so that people don't come in here and wreck your shop. And then if they said no, they'd go in there and wreck your shop. <laughs> well, if you don't want our protection, guess what? Now you have to find somebody else to protect you because now we own you. Yeah, it's called extortion. No. What? <laughs> I wonder if did it's he actually did he, did he actually uh, continue the the political um, like because right, they rented themselves out to political figures? Did he continue that? Not really. Uh, no. It was just kind of like a here and there yeah. kind of thing. I didn't know if he did or didn't. Um, so during this time. Oni was quite the ladies' man. He, uh, at any given time, he would have a, a couple of different girls who he'd be he'd regularly be seen with. On one occasion, uh, that Irish temper that wasn't really Irish came out, and uh, he got he showed just how jealous he how jealous he was and how fucking vicious he was. A store clerk named William Henshaw asked one of uh, asked one of Oni's girls out that he'd run into on a trolley. <laughs> Um, oh, boy. Well, Oni found out and fucking shot him. Hey, man. For talking to one of his girls. <laughs> well, you can warn and warn and warn all you want. There Sometime- was no warning. He just I, fucking wait, wait, blapped. Time out. <laughs> you can warn all you want. Sometimes you just got to be like, you know what? I don't feel like warning anybody today. I'm not feeling good. I'm not having I'm a good day. I'm a little day. hangry and I'm not happy. And you know what? That store didn't have the candy I wanted. This guy's talking to my ladies. Fuck him. I stepped in dog shit. Done. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what? I'm not going to warn him. I'm just going to prove a point right now. Good night. I broke my fucking mirror. <laughs> so Henshaw would actually survive the shooting initially. He lived long enough to tell the police, Oni Madden's the guy that shot me. See, it was just a warning shot that went a little bit awry. But when he died from his injuries, Madden would then be arrested because, you know, it's a technically a first-hand account if the person that you shot goes, no, it's this motherfucker that shot me. Mm. Um. So again, we're gonna notice a pattern. A pattern here happened in broad daylight, in front of a lot of witnesses. Case actually gets thrown out because nobody's willing to come forward in trial. So yeah, here you go. Would you? Fuck no, dude. So he he had definitely earned his reputation for being a violent little shit at this point in time. Yeah, he was a cocky little rooster hen guy. Yeah. Whatever the name, what was his name again? The Banty Little Rooster from Hell. But yeah. they call, his nickname was Oni the Killer. 
Mm, which is I like the other one better, less less intimidating. So a few a few years would pass, and the uh, the Gophers' territory would begin to sprawl out from Hell's Kitchen and into that of the Hudson Dusters. On November 6th, a group of dusters ambushed Madden outside of a dance hall on 52nd Street and shot him, I shit you not, 11 times. Ouch. Oni, what mother... What kind of gun did he use to shoot 11 times? It was a bunch of dudes. Oh, okay, that makes sense. It was yeah. like, during this time, it was revolvers. Yeah. So I'm like, six shots, you may get lucky with the one eight shot, but I guarantee it was six. When was this again? Uh, 1912. Just start yeah, shooting, yeah, popping okay. off. Hold, please, I gotta reload. Well... The thing is, though, you catch somebody between the street and a building, and you got three, four dudes out there. All you're, you're not going to fucking miss. You're just yeah. fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he gets shot 11 fucking times. Only fucking Madden survives this attack. And when the police showed up at the hospital to ask him, hey, did you see who shot you? Did you know who shot you? Fuck no. He says, <laughs> quote, nothing doing. The boys will get him. It's nobody's business who put these slugs in me but me and the man that shot me. <laughs> this motherfucker. He had the right biggest here. set of stones. Yeah. The biggest set of stones I have ever heard. So, like Justin said last week, Wendy's like, I ain't telling you shit. <laughs> Today, that's exactly what he would have said. Yeah. You know? No, he probably would have still said it this way because he's dignified. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, again, that kind of goes to show just how strong this code was. That even though the police could have maybe solved this, or the fact that maybe that maybe the fact that he's in a life or death situation and he goes, ah, fuck you, I ain't telling you nothing. Yeah. That kind of shows what kind of guys we're dealing with here. Within a week of him being released from the hospital, several members and I heard I read anywhere between five and twelve of the Hudson Dusters had been, well, hold on, CSI Miami dusted. <laughs> Seriously, who are you? Who are you playing as? The guy that does the fucking Horatio puns. Horatio Kane. As I break my glasses trying to take Horatio, them off. There Horatio. There we go. There, yeah, he's a redhead. Boom. In 1914, Madden got in uh, got into it again over a girl. This guy, this time with a dude named Patsy Doyle, and the girl involved was uh, Frida Horner. So Patsy Doyle was a high-ranking member of the Dusters and. In complete violation of the gangster code, he went to the police and told them all about uh, all about the operations and rackets that Madden and his boys are running. He then had one of uh, one of Madden uh, one of Madden's guys, Tony Romanello, jumped and beaten nearly to death. This would be a huge, huge mistake on the part of Doyle, um, because Madden sent a message to him through a girl named Margaret Everdeen saying that he wanted to meet with him, talk things out, bury the hatchet, you know. Wasn't she his girlfriend? Yes. She was one of Oni's girls. Yeah. Oh, boy. So when Doyle showed up at the set location on November 28th, 1914, Madden ambushed and killed him. The police would actually end up talking to both Everdeen and Horner, who were actually friends. Which is kind of weird because you have these two girls that are, they're friends, but they're dating guys at opposite sides of the fucking tracks, pretty much. But, I mean... That's a dangerous game to play. Yeah, very dangerous game to play. I mean, Doyle doesn't die where he gets shot. He's shot in a bar. Then he stumbles out of the bar and dies in the... Wa- in the... In the... In the, um, the curb. On the, the curb. Yeah. So, I mean, he's like, it does that... Uh, uh, 
Uh, yeah, that uh, fucking uh, melodramatic <laughs> 1940s death scene. Oh, oh you shot me. <laughs> so, You're gonna get yours. So, Eat a dick, loser. <laughs> so they, they both spill the beans on Madden, and he was arrested and sentenced to 20 years in Sing Sing. He Ooh. only served nine of the 20 years, though. He was released on parole in 1923. Um, something kind of big happened in the United States in 1920. What's that? Anybody want to hazard a guess as to what that was? I don't know. Kevin, resonant historical thing. Something happened. You're not hmm. supposed to be vague. You, you're not supposed to be vague. That's my job. I think it's called Prohibition. Yeah. Yeah. That started. Yeah, so Oni got released three years pretty much after that started. I got something fun to tell you about that. Hmm. So during the whole time of Prohibition, when I was working for... You you were working for... In the 20s? Car rental. No, dude. (laughs) Yeah, dude. We pick you up in carriages You old as fuck. (laughs) Yeah. For once it's me, not that bitch ass. Anyway. And he's talking about me. Yeah. Because, you know, running story. Anyway. So I pick up this, I'm going over to this guy, I'm standing in his little foyer, and I see this pool table, I walk over, I'm like, holy shit. Like, it is hand-carved, like, redwood, it's, like, top of the line, the billiard balls themselves are all hand-carved, like, stone, like, one was marble, and one was, like, slate, and, not slate, I don't even know what it was, I'm fucking not a geologist over here. (laughs) And it's, like, looking at these sticks, and I'm like, holy shit, and he goes... You want to see something kind of cool? I'm like, yeah. Goes over. All of a sudden, a trap door bops open. I'm like, what the hell? And he goes, look in there. And inside is a bottle from, like, the early Prohibition days that's still sealed. No shit. What the hell? And he goes, this pool table has been in my family since the 1920s. When Prohibition hit, they converted it because they owned a tavern or an upscale. Speakeasy kind of thing. Yeah. He's like, we own this like upper scale uh, restaurant and we would get people to come in and they would start drinking. I'm like, no shit. And he goes, walks over. The other side drops down. He goes, you want to see something even better? Yeah. He goes, this is a hundred percent like marble top with this felt. It takes two people. You can lift this off. You flip it around and it's a bar table. No shit. What? He goes, you can't play pool on this table. It is literally just for show. We you set up everything and make it look fancy, but realistically, you pick it up, you flip it, and now you have a like a whole like bar set up. That is like with shakers and all that stuff. Sweet. That's one of those things where in a movie it would have been part of a set where they just push a button and everything fucking flips. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> are you serious? He's like, yeah, we could do it, but honestly, I'm not lifting that. That that top right there weighs about 300 pounds. Yeah, the, the fucking marble's not light, dude. So I'm like, okay, slate, he goes. Slate. He said marble. No, it was marble. Like it, it wasn't was, a slate. Uh, no, table? they really? spent. Holy shit. You want to know how much this thing were, is worth now? I Six figures, I would guess. Easy. Yeah, maybe. So I was like, oh, here it goes. Yeah, it took a lot of time and energy and money to get that out of New York City to here. And oh, it's not going anywhere. It's going to my kids. This is a complete family heirloom. The only way to sell this is if someone in my family after me decides to sell it. And it's not going to be cheap. I'm like, whoa. He goes, you have to have it reappraised. You have to have it appraised. And based on, you know. He uh, would not disclose the amount because it was so exorbitant that when he put everything back into place, he had to hold it just right and get it to click. He's like, this is 100% custom handmade. Wow. I'm like, oh. He goes, yeah, we also got some, I'm not going to say names, but 
high-level politics were played to get this where it was, and certain people of a political faction used to come in all the time. I'm like, I don't want to know anymore. He goes, <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> yeah, he's like, sometimes the rumors are true about you know politicians coming in. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, just value on that because I mean, uh, being during prohibition, you know, of of what it did. And having that, I mean, god damn. Yeah, dude, it was one of those life-affirming moments of I'm seeing something that is severely crazy old, still in beautiful condition. Like, he would oil and wax the wood. The felt was clean and meticulous. He would clean each of the billiard balls. The stone, like, the, the sticks themselves are all well-maintained. Like, it is a job to take care of this thing and make sure nothing happens. Son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. But if you ever shoot those pool balls, you're going to destroy them because yeah. they were literally just for show for the restaurant. Well, that and if a regular pool ball hits marble hard enough, anyway, it's going to fucking split it. So Yeah, it, this was just for show. That's so Because cool. when you flipped it over after the felt, you would see that nice white marble top. That's cool. Anyway, let's get back to talking yeah, about this crazy yeah. hen doctor. <laughs> hen doctor? <laughs> yeah, this crazy little cocky pecker. Oh, Ooh, cocky pecker. So after he got released... He went back out into the world that he thought he knew to find out that the Gophers had pretty much broken up. Most of the members were either in prison or working for, like, bootlegging gangs, stuff like that. Um, So Madden was actually approached by a guy named Larry Fay, who knew who he was and was like, hey, I'm I'm not, like, you know, an impressive-looking dude. I need some muscle just in case somebody starts, you know, moving into my gang. So... They set up a taxi company, and uh, th- this taxi company would be, it would work twofold. It would work as money laundering for the bootlegging operation, and these taxis were also making runs back and forth to Canada to come back with whiskey and all that shit. So, Faye and Madden ran a huge chunk of like taxi services up and down Broadway. Um, they, I, I wanted to say it was close to 50 taxi stands that they owned together. Faye also got in, this one's kind of weird, got into the milk trade in an attempt to make that into a racket, too. People like milk in this time, man. It was a wanted commodity, especially right. in the city, because you don't have farms. And you own that thing. You need it for baking. You need it for cooking. You need it for people for their coffee and their tea if they're fancy. And that's why it worked, because nobody ever expected somebody to go, I'm going to turn fucking milk into a racket, you know? So Madden would, go, would after a little bit, he would go on to form his own crew, and he actually ended up hiring a young guy named George Raft as his personal driver. And anybody that is into, like, old-timey gangster movies, like the original Scarface, like, back that far, like, with the black-and-white movies, mm-hmm. George Raft actually went on to become an actor who played very, very authentic, like, mobster characters in movies. Like, that whole trope of, like, you know, you see, like, the mobster, like, in his fucking zoot suit, like, leaning up against a, a wall, like, flipping a coin and catching it while he's watching people. That was George Raft. So Madden would get heavily involved in bootlegging out of Hell's Kitchen. Uh, and in 1924, uh, Madden and his gang started ripping off trucks full of illegal booze that belonged to a guy named Big Bill Dwyer. So instead of Dwyer going to war with him, he took Madden on as a partner because he realized, I go to war with this guy. I'm going to get fucked up because he's crazy. Yeah. Or it's not worth just eliminating both of us. Right. Plus, he's also doing something that, you know, hey, I could have part of that business mm-hmm. and make money. 
So as part of the bootlegging, he uh, he and a former rival turned partner, Big Frenchy Demange, opened a bunch of speakeasies and nightclubs. Um, most notably would be the Cotton Club in Harlem. Hmm. No, didn't he? He didn't open it. He actually owned an interest in it, right? Nope. They, they opened, the, the three of them together okay. opened the Cotton Club. All right. Um, and when the club first opened, they had some pretty big name entertainers there. Um, names like Cab Calloway, Duke Ellington, uh-huh. Louis Armstrong, Lena Horne, Bill Bojangles Robinson. Oh my goodness. And the Nicholas brothers who I'm not sure who they were. I would have I would have been up in my glory all of my glory if I had been there because Oh dude fucking big band shit's awesome. Oh. Well it's all blue. It's all yeah. it's all jazz. So I mean it's it's great. Duke Ellington. Mm-hmm. Oh. Louis fucking Armstrong. Yeah. Come on. I mean Duke Ellington and and all Duke others. Ellington. Oh. M- missing Duke Silver though. Oh. Mm, somebody sorry. somebody will pick that up. Okay. So Madden and his partners, Big Frenchie, and... Uh, hold on here. So Madden and his partners also muscled in on, on the uh, the Stork Club, which was a very, like, very high-end club at the time. Like, if you were anybody, you went to the Stork Club. Hmm. So they, then they also kind of muscled in on, like, 18 to 20 more of these fucking clubs all throughout New York City. I feel like this is like a Grand Theft Auto game. Kind of, yeah. Hmm. Um, pretty fucking cool, though. You know. So he, he would actually kind of go on to be to become uh, an underground celebrity for all of the bootlegging and all the speakeasies and stuff that he owned. And uh, just before Prohibition ended, uh, they kind of saw the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, where they're just like, Let's get out of this now while we're still making money because this is coming to an end. So they, him and his partners decided to get into the, I'm going to throw some finger quotes at you, sports management business. Primo Carnera. Yeah. So 1931, Madden and his crew got hooked up with a, uh, a guy by the name of Broadway Bill Duffy, who was a pretty big-time boxing promoter in New York City at the time. This new, uh, new group had, um, they were pretty much in control of a, a couple of, really big name boxers at the time um including max bear who i my first thought was oh the guy from beverly hillbillies but no that's his dad was the boxer uh, really jethro bodine no shit yep his dad was a professional boxer in the 30s fuck man i mean look at the dude he's built like he'd fuck you like he'd fuck somebody up if he had to you know i i did play a boxing game earlier <laughs> and the other one was the six foot six 275 pound Italian powerhouse Primo Carnera. I thought it was an Italian dish. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, yeah, we want to. Primo me- Carbonara. Yeah, dude, it comes in with a bowl, got breadsticks, got some salad. I also realize I'm offending some people and I'm hey, probably going to bre- get stabbed in my manaloni hole. <laughs> oh, <laughs> manicotti hole? Let's go with that one instead. I, I actually when, had to- when I thought Primo Carnera, I thought. Steak with fucking pasta sauce underneath it. <laughs> I actually hey, ha- I, hey, bring that fucking cheese over here. You don't stop at the grinder until I tell you so. <laughs> I thought the same thing as Seth. I was like, like, what the hell is he getting an Italian food for? I don't understand this. No, one of the things that I was listening to a podcast where they talked a little bit about the relationship between Madden and Carnera. They did a little bit of backstory. One of the big rumors was that when Primo Carnera was born. He weighed somewhere between 15 and 20 fucking pounds. 
pig fucker. And he, he looks like if you took Shrek and Bruno San Martino and smashed them together. Mm. <laughs> like he's got that big fucking wide chin, but he's just he he's a weird looking dude. During his career, Carnera had 103, uh, 103 fights. He won 89 and lost 14. 72 of those wins came via knockout, including one that I what they were talking about on the show. Because a lot of these fights were actually fixed. No. Because Primo Carnero was known as like being like a gentle giant. Like he just wanted to go out and have fun. He didn't want to yeah. hurt anybody boxing. So one of these guys didn't want to take the deal. So actually, to go back, um, uh, George Raft actually came back to New York City to visit. And because he was somewhat of a, a little bit of a celebrity, people kind of know him. This fight's happening at Madison Square Garden. Oh, come on in, Mr. Raff. Come on in. We'll, we'll take you backstage and you can meet all these people. They didn't know that Oni Madden has actually paid him to drug this other dude's water bottle. <laughs> so they put a sedative in the water and, like, between rounds, like, as this guy's taking drinks of water and they're like, you know, oh, you keep your guard up. When he goes for a left, you go for a right, all this shit. He's just drinking this fucking water. And he essentially fell asleep, like, like partially fell asleep in one of the one of the rounds, and Carnero just fucking clipped him and knocked him out. Chloroform <laughs> is the best essential oil to help you get some sleep. It's just fucking amazing. It's like, oh, hey, hey, slip some chamomile in his water, put him to fucking sleep. You know who actually knocked out Carnero and uh, Max Bear? Uh, yes, and I can't remember his name. Is it Joe Lewis? Yep. Um, the Brown Bomber. <laughs> so again, this uh, this whole sports management racket would actually lead to Carnera winning the NBA title in 1933. NBA? The basketball? Yes, the National Boxing uh, <laughs> Association. Oh, look at that. That's so, sport. After like speculation and rumor from sports writers and all these other newspaper people and people actually betting on the fights, they found out, they actually did find out these fights are being fixed. Shocker! What? <laughs> So, Never. So Carnero would actually go on to lose the title on June 14th, 1934 to Max Bear. And he didn't really have a lot of fights that went super, super long. And he was a big fucking dude. And this is a time where fights fucking were like, uh, what is they, it? They would fight uh, like basically 20 rounds. Gets, yeah. Plus, to somebody actually went down or something he or actually, couldn't get back up. He actually got knocked out in, I think, the 13th or 14th round. I'm going to post a clip for it because you can tell when he came out, like, his fucking hands are down. He's sucking wind. And Max Bear just beats the fuck out of him. <laughs> but they, those two actually would go on to, like, be friends for most of, like, the rest of Bear's life, at least. And when he died, Carnera tried to come back from Italy to get to the funeral, but he got tied up with customs and couldn't make it in time. So he just went to visit the family and... Went to his grave and stuff like that. In 1932, Madden was allegedly involved in the murder of a guy named Vincent Mad Dog Call, who had been extorting money from several uh, several mobsters, including Demange and Madden. After being arrested for a parole violation the same year, Madden saw the end coming. And as he started facing greater harassment from police and other groups encroaching, including the now formed like Italian mafia families. But before you get to that. The reason behind him being, you know, part of this was probably because he actually was a part of it. Part of what? The whole killing of Call. Oh, yeah. absolutely he was. Well, because the... Now, this was the guy that I was, I, was, I said previous about that was like uh, 
Only Madden because Vincent actually was born in uh, Donegal, England, uh, Ireland, and he was brought to New York by his mother and raised him until she died. When she uh, she died at the age of se- when he was age of seven, and he actually went to stay with the uh, um, the nuns, I believe, or or stayed an orphanage. Send him to the uh, nuns. No, he went to uh, Mount Loretto Orphanage in Staten Island, and he stayed there. Well, then he w- came out and he actually started working for Dutch Schultz, who was actually partnered with Oni Madden. Yep. Um, and he worked for him in his early teens. And when he was 19, he was actually charged with killing a speakeasy owner because the speakeasy owner wouldn't um, buy his liquor from uh, Schultz. <laughs> but because of <laughs> Schultz's influence... He didn't go to jail. And this kind of made Cole was like going, huh, I'm untouchable. Nobody's, yeah. nobody's going to fucking touch me. So what does he do? He, without you know getting Schultz's um, okay for it, he goes and he tries to rob a, um, a dairy called the Sheffield Farms Dairy. And, and this... This didn't sit well with with Schultz, with uh, Schultz at all. He actually reprimanded him for it, and Cole really wasn't paying attention to him. He's like, you know, whatever, old man. Basically, you know, yeah. I ain't fucking listening. Instead, in, instead of actually listening, he says demands to him that he that Schultz cut him in as equal partner. Not gonna happen. No, <clears throat> Schultz get like your no. Ass out of here. He bluntly states. I don't take in nobody as partners with me. You're am, you're an ambitious punk, but you take nothing. You take your salary or nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> then, thinking he's untouchable, he ends up getting fucking touched. Well, he gets touched, but not until <laughs> after, you know, he, with his calm, gentle little smile, and he says, okay, I'm leaving it. Basically leaving his salary. Fuck. He says... You know, that kind of should have been a warning to Schultz and probably to Madden as well that this little fucker's, you know, means business. He went fucking Jimmy Coonan. Yeah, he <clears throat> went Jimmy Coonan. In, 19, in uh, June 15th of 1931, <coughs> foreshadowing, Cole actually turned his torment to Madden because he actually kidnapped big Frenchie Demange. Yeah, and not a smart fucking move. No, he held him for ransom. Which is something like someone else saw later on. Uh, Mickey Splint. <laughs> foreshadowing. Yeah. He held it for You ransom. need to make a foreshadowing sound. We need to come up with one. <laughs> it's got to be like oh. ominous or something. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, fucking Jesus. He, he held <clears throat> the, uh, the mange for ransom for $35,000. And without hesitation, Madden paid it. And, you know, was like, okay, fine. But Cole didn't stop there. He actually threatened to kidnap Madden himself. Not a smart fucking move again. Nope. But this wasn't the end. He was actually messing with Schultz at the same time. Um, He was hijacking beer trucks, trashing speakeasies. I mean, who who hasn't wanted to hijack a beer truck? Mm, I don't know. I want to hijack a milk truck. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah. During this time, it would uh, would have been a a big money getter because it was started a depression. So, you know. I wouldn't make any money. I'd just drink it all. True. Bury it in the backyard. Keep it cool. <laughs> You're fucking beautiful. Uh, so, and he also moved into the Harlem policy games, which 
which is one of uh, Schultz's lucrative rackets. And but the straw that actually broke the back, Camel Camel, back. Camel's back, was Camel toe. when he actually targeted Joey Rao, who was um, Schultz's uh, kind of he was his uh, money guy. He kind of he was his big collector. And on July 28, 1931, Rao and two of his uh, associates, basically they were his bodyguards, were sitting out in front of his headquarters at the Helmar Social Club on 107th East Street. And when Cole went by, opened fire. This is basically I, – I, now from watching this show, they actually said – that actually had Mickey Spillane's son in it. They said that uh, – he was the originator of the drive-by shooting, which I don't know if it's true or not, but who knows. Well, he doesn't hit Rao. He doesn't hit Rao's bodyguards. He ends up actually hitting five kids. What a fuck, dude. Four of them end up being wounded, going to the hospital. One ends up dying. This pisses off Schultz Everyone. and Matt. Everyone with a fucking conscience? Yeah. Both Schultz and Madden are pissed. And this is where Schultz and Madden put out a bounty of $25,000 for Cole to be taken out. That's a lot of money yeah. for that era. It had been like two hundred and fifty grand now. Probably close to that. Well, I'm just going off the $200 that yeah. he was making. So, um, On February 8th, 1932, when Cole was in a drugstore taking a... Uh, talking on a payphone, he was so deep in the conversation that he was oblivious that a car pulls up, three or four guys get out, a couple of them surround the building, one goes in, has a Tommy gun, you know, pulls up, aims right at Cole, opens up. And they say they cut actually cut him in half pretty much Good. because of all the, the glass and the... Good. Shooting fucking kids, rounds. asshole. <clears throat> so that's kind of where... You know, because he actually, they said that he was, there was a possibility he was talking to Oni on the phone. So that's why, you know, they kind of thought he was setting him up. Oh, absolutely. So I just kind of wanted to jump in on uh, on that before. I, yeah. So after leaving behind the racketeering in, uh, in New York, uh, Madden would actually move down to Hot Springs, Arkansas, which was pretty much known to be like a vacation resort for criminals because... The, the fucking city government, the police, everybody was on the take. They were all corrupt as fuck. So mm. criminals could come and go as they pleased as long as they didn't do anything violent when they were there. They didn't care. <clears throat> so Madden opened up the uh, the Hotel Arkansas, which was a, uh, a spa and casino in 1935 and also became involved in some local criminal activities, especially gambling. Because it's a low-risk crime. Nobody's going to get hurt, you know. So the Arkansas, the Hotel Arkansas would actually become a pretty popular place for mobsters. Uh, Charles Luciano would actually be arrested there in 1935 on a warrant. Because <clears throat> he, he actually was uh, had an alliance with uh, yeah. Oni. Some, somewhat, yeah. Um, Madden would actually become a naturalized United States citizen in 1953. And uh, eventually ended up getting married to a woman named Agnes Dempsey, the daughter of the city postmaster. Hmm. He lived in Hot Springs until his death on April 24th, 1964, 
miraculously, some fucking how after the life this guy led, dies of natural causes. So this crazy <clears throat> uh, little dude legitimately got away with everything. Yep. Yep. No repercussions. No. And, and he lived a happily ever after. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. At the time of his death... Sometimes, I it, guess, crime does pay. <laughs> at the time of... Speaking of that, oh, at the God. time of his death, it's said that Madden would have been worth somewhere in the area of about, 300 million, of about $3 million today. I'm glad I stopped drinking at that time. But the whereabouts of any of that money is still unknown. He I bet it. his family still knows. Has to be. I bet his, you know, his wife and if they had kids. Well, he he hid a lot of it that nobody knew about. Well, yeah, dude. I'll be honest with you. If I was going anywhere, the first thing I would do is hide money, right? And then only I know, and you know, select few is like on my deathbed. Hey, this is where this is. This is how you take care of it. Do not go buy expensive action figures like an idiot. Put it <clears> into <throat> something that you can. Uh, <clears throat> Shut up. <laughs> expensive action figures. <laughs> Mine aren't expensive. These are pretty affordable. Mine are only 20 bucks a piece. Yeah, these are like 40 Whatever. And I buy... Not- anyway. Uh, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, though, is they... I guarantee he told somebody in his family or his collective that knew about it, and then it was literally strategically placed in all different these little spots... So his wife or his family could access it at any point if they needed it. Yeah. If not, it keeps getting passed around. Or he buried it in a coffee can in his backyard. That's what I'm thinking. And, you know, got to that point where he forgot about it. And if you go now, it's literally, you know, a trench. (laughs) So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about Mickey's Blaine. Are we going to learn some stuff about stuff? We might learn some things about stuff, though. Yeah. Yeah. If only there was a place. A place that has a discount code, maybe? The Dark Windows Podcast is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus is a subscription video on-demand service with thousands of in-depth videos taught by the world's greatest professors. You'll always have something fascinating to learn about. With categories ranging from history to travel, there's something for everyone. The courses I'm personally looking forward to checking out are the 36-part series on the Vikings and the 24-part series The Agency, A History of the CIA. If you go to ageofradio.org forward slash darkwindows, there's an offer to get The Great Courses Plus for 14 days free. Stay ahead in life. Start your access today with 11,000 plus video and audio lectures on a range of topics. Now, let's get back to the show. So, we're back. I'm learning. And before we go into Mickey Splain, there's another guy we have to mention who was... uh, the guy who pretty much took over the rackets from Oni when he left was a guy named Hugh Mulligan. And Hugh Mulligan? Why does that name sound familiar? <clears throat> the name, his name might not, but the two guys that he pretty much brought up, they will both sound super familiar. No, Hugh Mulligan sounds familiar to me for some it, strange reason. It's probably, it's probably because of these two guys. Okay. So two of his protégés, I guess you could say, were a guy named Jimmy Burke who would go on to be part of the, I think it was the Lucchese family. He's one of the guys that organized the fucking Lufthansa heist. Um, if anybody's ever seen Goodfellas, yeah. Robert De Niro's character was Jimmy Burke. Uh, okay, now I got it. Yep, and because the, there was a documentary on the the guys in Goodfellas mm-hmm. and who they were based off yeah. of, and I think that's where I, that name sounds yep. familiar. Um, 
Got and it. the other guy that came up at the same time as Jimmy Burke, but didn't get involved with the Italians, stuck with his Irish, was Mickey Spillane. So look at that little foreshadow. We knew it was right? going to happen. So Kevin, you want to bring us into some Mickey stuff? Mickey talk? Woof. Yeah. Um. Well, you, you mentioned that, and I think I I wanted to before we kind of went any further. Also, there is a new movie coming out on Netflix. I think it's next month. I'm not quite sure, but it's called The Irishman. Everybody needs to te- check it out. It's about. Uh, Maybe you should check it out so that way you know when it's coming out. <laughs> Boom! Roasted! Not yeah. only Ben Askren can do it, so can I. Faced! Well, no, we're going to be roasted. I, no, That's I'm just what saying Ben Askren does. I, I, was trying to, I was actually trying to look it up, but I didn't want to... I was just wanting to say Boom! Other, roasted. Because I saw it ben on... Um, he got knocked out in five seconds due to a knee. He yes, died. True. Actually fucking died. Actually fucking died. <clears throat> he, his spirit just haunts Dana. <laughs> Boom! Roasted. <laughs> so anyway... Sorry. <laughs> it... it this is this whole uh, movie um, was basically about the. So this is kind of like how th- uh, this Irishman and like got hooked up with Hoffa via this uh, Italian guy. Yeah. That was part of a thing. It looked pretty fucking good because it's got uh, Belushi. It's got no uh, Jim Belushi. He did. Steve had, Buscemi. It has such a great man. Has weird fucking eyes. <laughs> he does. No, it has. He has weird teeth. <clears throat> It has Joe Pesci as Russell Bolafino, uh, Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa, and Robert De Niro as Frank Sharon. Hmm. That could uh, be good. Yeah, the, he's Frank Sharon actually, like, blows the whistle, I guess, hmm. on uh, everything and kind of, like, takes that shit down. Um, Interesting. Yeah, they have, like, uh, was it Joseph Crazy, uh, Crazy Joe Gallo and some... Anthony Salerno is he's in here too. Yeah, um uh Dominic uh Lambrodozzi plays him. I don't know any of these people. Let's just get on to the Mickey's playing. Yeah, let's talk him. I want to go home and play video games. Well, Anthony Salerno, I mentioned him last week. Anyway, anyway. Oh, okay, that makes sense then. Anyway, this is matter. Oh, so just go yeah, just check that out. Yeah. Check out the, the new the new show it's Irishman calling him out this fall. I was like, "Oh, hey, I you know one of those things we should uh, Netflix sponsor us. Netflix sponsor us. Yeah, <laughs> we should tell people about. Anyway, let's move it on to Mickey Spillane. He's the Mickey Spillane was born on July thirteenth, nineteen thirty four. So he was around during the time of um Schultz and uh, and all of them. Yeah. And so he kind of saw this and probably was like, hey, I can do this too. He was one of six Somebody's got to fucking do it. He was one of six children to the parents of Michael Spillane and Margarita Spillane. Uh, Mickey would start to make a name for himself in the late 50s. His first brush with the law came in 1950 when he was 16 years old. Uh, He was caught attempting to rob a Manhattan movie theater by a patrolman who was passing by. And during the attempted robbery, when the officer was going to arrest him, he actually shot him. <laughs> shot the cop, or the cop shot him? No, the sh- cop shot him. Okay. And well, then he mm-hmm. then he handcuffed him and bobbed away. Put a bullet in him, like a little grazing shot. It's like there you go, you little yeah. you little punk. This was the first of many arrests. He was actually arrested twenty four more times. God damn. Uh, after that, due to you know, being caught for burglary, assault, gun possession, criminal contempt, and gambling. <laughs> 
Uh, but during this time, he was still the man to know and a man with a plan in the neighborhood. He was so well known because, you know, he did favors for, for local shops. He sent flowers to neighbors who were in the hospital because they had He's a good hurt. guy. Yeah. He's a good guy. You know, yeah. just misunderstood. He, you don't fall in hard times. No, He's no. a good guy. Uh, he, he, he came from that same kind of mindset as, like, John Dillinger, where he was, like, the quote-unquote, the gentleman gangster, where yes. he was just a fucking, he was a good guy. He would help you with whatever you needed. He'd help your mother cross the street. He'd bring you fucking groceries. But if you cross him, he's going to break your fucking legs. Or yeah. kidnap your father. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. He would that also- hits close to home, huh? Foreshadowing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he would send turkeys to families in need in, during Thanksgiving. Um, he also donated or had made annual donations to the nuns of Mount Carmel Convent. So doing all of this made him a very well-known man and a very liked man yeah. in the neighborhood because he was caring. And on August 6, 1960... You're a good boy, Mickey. Thank you. <laughs> You're a sweet boy, Mickey. Thank you for doing everything you do for us. Wouldn't it be Irish accent, though? <clears throat> It's all New York. <laughs> you, you, you come over and you sweep my floor when my back hurts. You're a good boy, Mickey. Tell your mother I said hello. Here's some meatballs and red sauce. I'm going to send her over a loaf of garlic bread when I make it again. She's a sweet woman. You're a good boy, Mickey. Thank you. <laughs> Dude, I want to do work for this guy. I want some garlic bread. Motherfuck. I bake, I bake the garlic right into the loaf. It's beautiful. You cut it open. It's already buttered. It's fucking gorgeous. It's can, warm the whole we- time. Stop. Sorry. <laughs> like, now I'm hungry and I, because I don't want pizza. I want something else now. Can I make that a character, you think? Yes. Oh, God, I love it. So, on August 6, 1960, Mickey made a rather big leap forward in his stature by marrying a woman. He grew by taller? No. <laughs> well, his stature, that means he grew taller. And his notoriety and who he is? His stature in the neighborhood. Okay, there we go. Reputation. By marrying. Maureen uh, McManus, whose family was very well known in Hell's Kitchen, they were called uh, the uh, the Manis, the McManny, yeah, the McManny. Yep, yeah, they were very well known. Uh, the father, her father, was a uh, political figure in the neighborhood in in New York City during the time. Very influential. Um, then he died, and then her, I believe it was cousin, took over. Or some a brother, I don't know whatever. Cousin, it was. mother, brother, could be. Uh, took over and actually went into politics as well. So this kind of having this political connection um, made you know what was a good thing for it. Now, I heard I when I was watching this video with regards to uh, Mickey Spillane, it actually said that according to his her brother, he told her. Uh, Maureen, that he would give up everything. He would he would stop, you know, doing the racketing. And, yeah, and you know, doing Going all to go that go legit. Stuff. Go legit. She, he, she was he, actually. You know, I found a picture of her. She was probably pretty when she was younger too. Yeah, she's yeah. slamming. <clears throat> she's she actually did has passed away. She yeah, passed away in 2014, I believe. Yeah, somewhere in there, the 13, 14, something. Yeah. I still don't feel bad for saying that she's good looking. <clears throat> no, God no. Um, so and according to her brother, he he did go legit. He worked um, doing something with, uh, like, dishing out wire. So, like, there's wire was on a spool, and he actually would uh, 
turn it. So it was it. like a, a lineman almost. Yeah, something <clears> like that. So you actually turn it so it would go out. It was on a construction site. Right. Well, this didn't last too long because he went back to, you know, being doing the rad dra- racketing and Like we said last week with Jimmy Coonan, it's hard everything. to go straight when you want to be a fucking crook. Exactly. Well, and it's more lucrative to be a crook. Fuck yeah, it is. Work well, a dead-end job, barely make money, barely afford to be able to survive. Oh, wait, if I'm a crook and I, you know, do some illegal things, I can make a shit ton of money in a short amount of time and also have power. Yeah. Because during this time, it was all about the power <laughs> game rather than being a victim. Well, I and the power, about that. And, and this power game kind of kicked, kicked uh, the power game kind of kicked in more because 1960 is when JFK was sworn in as president of the United States. Oh, he Mickey, was, you finally got an Irishman in the White House. Yeah, you must be first, so proud. Yeah, first Irishman in the <laughs> White House. Uh, Congratulations to you and your people. It's been it's been a long time, but it finally happened. Thank you. <laughs> Can't help but that fucking gonna break. Sorry. Oh shit. Sorry. No, don't be. That's it's kind of fun that I'm not the one making the dumb noises in the characters right now. So the the people of Hell's Kitchen thought that this was a step up in stature for them, and they began to move out in droves of Hell's Kitchen because they had money and they felt that hey, well, if other places are good enough for our press, you know. Uh, good enough for we, us. We got a fucking know, Mick president. We, we can get Mick out of this shithole. So, you know, <laughs> well, growing up, we're getting taller. We're not short little fucking leprechauns. Let's <laughs> get that. Jesus Christ. Oh, he's saying stature. I can't help it. That's the first thing I think of is stature, is size and height, because statuesque. Beautiful. Statuette. Anyway. That's a little one. Um, so many actually did stay in Hell's Kitchen because... Well, they didn't have the money to move out. That and it's where you grew up. And they were loyal mm-hmm. exactly. to Hell's Kitchen and didn't want to leave. And those people that stayed turned to Mickey because he was so polite and so handsome. And he actually was a handsome-looking guy. He really was. He was a good-looking dude. I, I mean, <clears throat> I got to say, from pictures, look, looking at the pictures of him, he was a handsome-looking dude. He, he wasn't Mickey Spillane handsome, but he was handsome. Like, if you see pictures of Mickey Spillane, like, the uh, the private eye with his big fucking chisel jaw, Dick Tracy-looking motherfucker, you're just like, woof. I, I don't know. Pictures like, of Mickey Spillane. He's a handsome motherfucker. I don't know. Back when he was younger, he was a no, handsome-looking dude. I'm not going to disagree with you, but Mickey Spillane, like, writer, detective Mickey Spillane, like, good-looking fella here. Well, and because of all the people, you know, liking him and thinking he was so polite and handsome, this correlated to the fact that he was... That's the, he was the so well known. Yeah, and in the mid '60s, the uh, rackets uh, for split between the Italians and Spillane were, were you know very lucrative, um, but their relationship was a tenuous one. Yeah, they they didn't get along at all. And, and as they, Kevin said, they the, tolerated each other. Yeah. They didn't. Yeah. And, and as Kevin had stated earlier, that the previous um, holder. Uh, placeholder for this relationship between the Irish and the Italians was uh, <clears throat> Huey Mulligan. Yep. Well, Mickey took this over. It kind of inherited it. Uh, Mickey felt that this relationship was more of a shakedown, and all he got out of it was that he was not to be fucked with, basically. That's all he got. Rightfully so. Um, but both Mickey and the Italians had a mutual degree of trust for each other, but that trust would be stretched thin. Don't and fuck with my shit, that won't fuck with your shit. It really was tested when Spillane snatched 
uh, Eli Zaccardi. Zaccardi was a policy games runner for Anthony uh, Salerno, who was the head Fat of Tony. the. Yeah, he was the head of the Genovese family. <laughs> so, and um, so Mickey would actually kidnap people and hold them for ransom because that was one of his things he liked to do, and he never uh, hurt anybody because the Italians let him do this because they knew that you know they said, hey, just you know. You can kidnap whoever you want. Just make sure that you know nothing comes of harm to them. They don't die, anything like that. Yeah, that, that was kind of his like go-to. Like, yeah. we're not gonna sh- go shoot somebody up. We're gonna we're gonna catch them walking down the street with their groceries and take them and beat and the fuck out of them. This so happens to be, you know, as we said last episode, one of the things he did, you know, to get uh, Jimmy Coonan not to on his good side. the wrath of Jimmy Coonan. Yeah. So. He kidnaps yeah, Eli Zaccardi and takes him hostage. Well, so happens Zaccardi doesn't come back. Whoops. He disappears. Whoops. And, well, you'd think that something was going to happen to Mickey. Maybe he might disappear. No. no, he didn't. He actually stayed around, and probably the Italians were thinking, well, we're going to get back to this little fucker and... You know, we're going to take care of business. But get this mick bastard. Yeah, we'll get him on our own time. So, with the kidnapping still happening, and he became more lucrative in his, his businesses, uh, he actually would have guys going, doing runs, and he would, they would actually collect three-digit numbers and bets at the same time. Yep. And the winning numbers often paid six hundred to one. That's so, fucking crazy. Yeah. Oh, um, can can I speaking to the numbers running stuff like that? If you want to get a better idea as to how that worked, go listen to uh, the Joe Rogan episode where he had T.J. English on, who wrote the book The Westies, and he had T.J. English and Joey Diaz on. And Joey Diaz goes into very good detail as to... That fucking cocksucker, <laughs> Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, cocksucker. Um, cocksucker, motherfucker. <laughs> Let me tell you about what it was like to live in New York City, dog. These motherfuckers. Um, but he goes into really good detail as to how these numbers were picked as the winner. Yeah. It's really fucking intricate, but super, super interesting. Yeah, he well, it's often is, rigged. He, he, he grew up in it. Yeah, dude. He was a fucking Cuban immigrant that lived there. Yeah. And he listened to anything he talks about with Joe Rogan specifically. And it is, you can, he will paint a dark, turbulent time during this era. Yeah. Because as a child, he lived everything that you could live during that time. It's kind of scary. Yeah. I kidnapped motherfuckers. I'm doing cocaine. So <laughs> kidnapped anybody. So now, <laughs> with, with those, that 601 uh, in the numbers, you know, being, the, the winnings being that so lucrative, non-gamblers would actually place bets as well. Yeah. Uh, they would place anywhere from a dollar to a thousand dollars, which meant more business for Mickey in the long run. And he was not dealing with gamblers, but he was dealing with part. Also, not only was he dealing with gamblers, but he was also dealing with part-time gamblers, which meant more money coming into him. Right. Um, plus, because you're getting your regulars, and you're getting people that don't usually yeah. do this. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you know, he was also getting that money from, you know, doing the random. Uh, um, kidnappings yeah. were, you know, because 
with the Italians, they set a range. You know, you can't you can only go from ten thousand to fifteen thousand for you know the range of this is how much you can ask yeah. for, and you're not to exceed that fifteen thousand marker. So. $15,000 during this time. That's, that's a lot fucking of fucking... Good, that's yeah. a lot of money now, dude. Yeah. I'd kidnap somebody for $15,000. you kidding? Not me. I'm too lazy to deal with it. <laughs> but besides the numbers game, Mickey owned a piece of most gambling dens in Hell's Kitchen. Uh, he was an avid dice player and card player. Hmm. When he was not doing this, he spent considerable time shoring up his reputation as a man of influence in the community. Uh, you know... And foreshadowing with the dice, because, you know. Yeah, exactly. Foreshadowing. Here's the thing, though. You said foreshadowing before. How do we foreshadow something that we already talked about? <laughs> I know, right? Because this is, is, it, is the flashback. Is it? This is, we're in the way, way back machine. So technically, we're back during this time. So it's foreshadowing. And then you go back and listen to what we talked about last week, if you didn't listen to it, because you decided to start with this one. And it's all a circle. And then it comes back around. And you're like, wow, they talked about that. That was foreshadowing. So it's backward-facing foreshadowing. Yes. 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 It's like walking backwards in a cornfield. <laughs> so naked. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen. But, but it's something's going in your butt. It's going to be shocking. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Continue. So during the late 1960s, Hell's Kitchen took a nosedive. <laughs> the neighborhood folks didn't feel safe. At all, because there was drugs moving in. And now, a, a video I watched, Mickey's son was actually talking about how his father... He remembered his father talking about it, and how his father didn't like the drug business, didn't feel that it was right. Yeah, he was that, that generation of, like, we don't need this shit. We can yeah. make our money elsewhere more yeah, legitimately. Yeah, we can go legit. Exactly. Yeah. Legit for a criminal, but yeah. Yeah, we can get True. it, you know... We can get it from, you know, running numbers. Racketeering, number running, you know. Gambling, all yeah, that good we stuff. We don't need to sell fucking drugs. Well, but, you know, that's respectable, though, because these yeah. guys were actually going to try to make their money the hard way. But. Instead of fucking smelling, you know, selling smack on the fucking corner. But this was kind of his, that whole thing was kind of his downfall because Mickey, yeah, people would turn to him. He would listen. You know, he'd be off in the corner of, of the. White of, House. Of the White House. Which is his his bar, and they would come to him. Do like kind of like the Godfather. Hey, Godfather, I'm coming to tell you my, you know, I got this and this going on. Can you help me, Mickey? And, my daughter's got shingles and needs some money. You gotta yeah. help me out, bud. Yeah, well, he Thank would. You. He would, you know, do what he could do. Well, you know, he was seen like as this being a good guy. Well, other side of the coin, he was also seen as being basically a pussy. He didn't. He couldn't handle his own business. He would hire others to do it. And, you know, he, he was weak now. He couldn't do any of that shit. One of, uh, one of these rumors was that he hired a guy named Alfred Scott, and he paid him $5,000 to do a shooting for him. But once the shooting happened, he didn't pay him. And Alfred actually had to go on the lam because, well... You know, he you didn't have fucking the, shoot somebody. He yeah. didn't have the balls, and because you know, Mickey was like, "I didn't, know how, you know, I'm are not doing." We, are we it. sure Fuck Mickey you. wasn't fucking Scottish? He seems pretty cheap here. Yeah, he could have been. <laughs> what? Could have been. How does I know them, man? Oh, just like I like the Scottish. I think they're cool people. Well, I, I don't I, mess I with am, them. I am. So yeah, I think they're yeah. cool too. But they yeah. are genetically cheap. Yeah. But with this, <laughs> with this whole you know swing of things happening, kind of left the door open for. Jimmy Coonan, yeah. who we started to talk about 
on uh, in Mickey Spillane and Mickey we talked touched on, but also we talked about Mickey Weatherstone Featherstone. Weatherstone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Mickey <laughs> Weatherbane, yeah. Yeah. He owns a fucking seafood chain. You know that's a new one. I'm not gonna tell you how many times when I wrote his name down that I actually didn't write Weatherstone and not Featherstone. So I'm gonna say six. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so that's pretty much the Mickey Spillane and all of that with the the backstory of how the Westies got to the point of Jimmy Coonan. Yeah. And Mickey Featherstone. And if, if you're listening to this episode before part one of the Westies and you're wondering why we left off so abruptly with Mickey with uh, Mickey Splane, it's because we're going to keep we're going to we talked about him in part one of our series on the on the Westies with Justin Rimmel. And we're going to keep talking about him in part two. And I'm spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. I don't think he makes it to part three. <laughs> nah, but we're, he does. But it's in referential yeah. purposes. <laughs> yes. yes, very much. Look at me using big words. Mickey was a good guy. He was a very good guy. They fucking whacked him right in front of his kids out on the street. He did not. But anyway. Watching TV with his boys, and he goes outside to his car, and he gets fucking shot. Roy DeMeo, that son of a bitch. (laughs) Bless his mother, though. Uh, I'm going to go home now. (laughs) Uh, Well, I like this new character. That's fun. Yeah, dude, it's good. (laughs) Fun, isn't it? It's great. With that said. This is my Jenkins. (laughs) I think uh, <laughs> now this is you. We are all kind of cop, you know, to the point of hey, you know, we know you got everybody knows now the backstory of how the all Westies the players, came, yes, yeah. how they came to be, uh, how Mickey Spillane came into the uh, the forefront, and then you know now you know, then if you're going to listen to the first episode we did was with Jim, with uh, Justin, yep, on. Jimmy and and Mickey and all of them. So we're giving you the beginning here. Follow us all the way up to the end yes. of the Westies, please. please Your guys are please. gonna love it. So it. some with, interesting stuff happens. With that being said, hey Seth, you got some stuff to talk about? Oh, not really. No, <laughs> no. We have a hobby holder to talk about. No, no. I talked about that fun stuff. You know what you can do? Wait, th- doesn't that thing have, have threads on it? I already talked about that, kid. You know what doesn't have threads on it? Our fucking Threadless store that's now open. Go to darkwindowspod.threadless.com. It, it, it does have threads in it because you can buy... It's Threadless, asshole! <laughs> but but you can buy a sweatshirt. That's fine. Oh, You I, can buy, you know, yeah, jackets. I, I bought a and, sweatshirt and a notebook. And there's so, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Side note, we need to update our, our promo pictures. Cause I have full beard, yeah, and that one looks old and I can ratchet get, as shit. I can get shit. my, my Jesus hair going, yeah, yeah. See, so <clears throat> where we have to update that is actually if you go over to ageofradio.org forward slash dark windows, you can see our old pictures that we have mm-hmm. to update. Yeah. Oh yeah, and while you're there, you can actually listen to all of our episodes we've ever uploaded. All of them, and then um, you can also uh, you check listen out shitloads of other 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 yeah. shows too, man, including one that we are going to be doing something with in the future, which we won't talk about. Yeah, and then you can also check out some uh, other stuff you can uh, through the bazaar, where you can get things through there at discounted prices. Uh, you and can, any anything you buy through the bazaar off of our page actually gives us a little bit of a kickback, which is helpful. Um, and if you also, if you want to hear more, you can go to Patreon. Yeah, go over to Patreon. We have not uploaded a episode yet to Patreon, but we have to do that. Do we have any patrons? 
No, but that we don't need to. But that will help when nope. people see that they can get things. Nope. And so we should probably do that at some point. You can, you can get onto Patre our Patreon thing from our Age of Radio yep. as well. Or you can go to Patreon and just punch in Dark Windows Podcast and we'll come up. You'll you know, see our ugly fucking mugs. You know what's really cool? What's that? If you head on over to Dicehead Games, because then they have miniatures, they have board games, card games, comic books, all the random good sorts of nerdery and epicness. Pick out what you like. You order it. You get it sent to you. Like if you have some miniatures, you don't know what to do. You go to GameEnvy.net. You get yourself a hobby holder or other hobby-related tools. As I said at the top of the show, you put in the promo code Broadstone, you'll save yourself 10% off the entire order. However, you don't have any promo codes for Dicehead because their prices are already fantastic. And they don't need a Patreon because they have an actual store. <laughs> you never know, though. They do have, you never know. That's they have true. a Twitch channel. They do have a bunch of other great they stuff do. going on with their own, like, tournaments and things like that. Oh, you know? and by ATC the way, just happened. By the way, they speaking, kicked ass. speaking of Dicehead, can we take a second to talk about the new mayor of fucking Knox County, Tennessee? Glenn motherfucking <laughs> Jacobs. Kane. Fucking Kane is the mayor of uh, of the county that one of my cousins lives in. Yep. He's super intelligent, super cool dude, and most importantly of all, he's a cool dude. He's smart as fuck, too. Yeah, dude. So if it happens that you forget about, uh, you know, you're like, man, where the hell was that place that Seth was talking about? He always talks about, uh, you know, that dice head thing or whatever that what's called. You can email us at darkwindows.com pod at gmail.com and we can they should email us about show related things that's way more important. or show related show or you could oh showery true that's a cool word or you you could also email us about show related stuff like seth said yeah. and or if you have any other questions uh you can look us up we're on facebook dark windows podcast we're only one on there uh i'm usually on there i'm kevin higher and you'll find kevin See Kevin Carlton. On I there as live well. on the Facebook page. Yes, and you can Seriously, message he, us. He sits on his Facebook all the time. I, I, I've been on Facebook the entire time that I wasn't talking. To be honest was, with you, I was saying you're sitting. You sit on faces mm. sometimes. We are, Only if they pay me, though. We are also on the Instagram and the Twitter at Dark Windows Pod, and I'm on there. I'm on the Instagram. My name is on there is Speedy Eight O Two. And Kevin, you're on there. What is yours? I am K Carlton eight seven. And Finn, Seth, you're on uh, the Instagram as well. What's yours? Oh, I'm showing you my cousin. Oh, oh, okay. yeah. That, that's uh, that's Nicole. That's Melissa's sister. I was like, yeah, dude. I know who yeah. Glenn Jacobs is. No, no, but I was like, my cousin him. met him. That's cool. I've been following him <laughs> since he was Doctor Isaac Yankum. Ugh, monster. Them fucking jack teeth. Anyway, yeah. sorry. I was what? Seth, what's your Instagram so that everybody can check you out? They can't really check me out. They can check out the miniatures I've been painting with my sweet hobby holder. And You'll see his stuff. hands. That's true. Yeah, and they're kind of beat up right now. <laughs> He's like fucking Waylon Jennings. I'll show my hands, but I'm a face <laughs> on TV. <laughs> dude, no one wants to see my ugly ass mug. You're However, there fella, are, there are pictures of me on there, and that is Broadstorm underscore creations, where you can see hobby-related hobbiness. Yeah. You're a handsome boy. You should, uh, you should take pride in yourself. So, <laughs> with that said. I'm going to come up with a name for that thing. Fuck. I'm thinking Giuseppe. I like that one. Okay, Giuseppe. Yeah. Let's, uh, maybe, let's... maybe someday when you guys are both busy, I'll, I'll co-host an episode with Giuseppe and see how that goes. And we don't have any more listeners. <laughs> <clears throat> so, 
just because you can't see out into the dark. Doesn't mean a crazy cockpecker is coming out to take over the world. <laughs> cockpecker? I forgot his name. <laughs> is that a rooster's dick? I don't know, man. It's the fucking dude. He was uh, a little cockhand. I don't know if I can know his name. I don't remember. <coughs> just because you can't see out into the dark. Oni Larkin, the wrestler, and Oni... Whatever this dude's name, Imagine. not the same guy. Nope. And he also didn't have a good football game either. No, that's true. John Madden, yeah. great nephew. Yeah. No. Hmm. Just because you can't see out into the dark. Motherfucking tiger mask, yo. <sighs> Son of a bitch. Just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean that the dark can't see you. Good night, Giuseppe. Have a good night. Uh, Say hello to your mother for me.